Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. Drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com. On, on the previous iteration of Road to Atlanta or on over on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K. Joining me as usual, we have Gaurav Vidak and Matt Powers, who have been joining me every week since we've relaunched the Road to Atlanta podcast. They've been working with me over at Talkie Chop for a long time. We love talking about baseball, especially minor league baseball. We do it every day, and once a week we decide to give you guys a little bit of a window into kind of what conversations we, what types of conversations we are having on basically a daily basis. Gaurav, how are you, sir? I'm doing really well, man. I'm excited to drop this uh, this video tomorrow as well. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Uh, make sure that you guys are going over to YouTube because uh, we have a Road to Atlanta YouTube channel now, uh, and there's going to be Grov is kind of spearheading a lot of video work that we're gonna that he's going to be doing. Uh, I'll probably be chipping in here and there, assuming we can get Matt to move to the Atlanta area. We can maybe get him involved in that as well. Uh, but this is going to be kind of more of a like a fun sort of shedding some light on the people and the personalities surrounding the Braves. I believe the video coming out is uh, a kind of a longer form interview with maybe some video games involved with Jim Powell. Yeah, correct. So it ended up being what, what was in place was supposed to be a standard like 15 to 20 minute interview, but he was so amazing. It ended up lasting almost, almost an hour. So we actually broke it down into about three segments and we're doing all, we're going back and forth. We're playing call of duty. It's just a fun time. I'm looking forward to it because I mean I, I I like those types of those types of stories because we do a lot of kind of un, like deep dive analysis of the minor leagues and the major leagues but like those those the stories of the people behind the people really do like matter quite a bit and we want to kind of shed some light on those types of stories and Jim Powell's been around for a long time and I I do like him as a like on the radio on the radio broadcast I I greatly prefer the radio broadcast to the the television one. Uh, it's certainly gotten better this year, but overall, I definitely prefer the radio. So it's nice that we get you had a chance to sit down with him, and you know, get to kind of get to know him a little bit better beyond just the kind of you know just that that voice of the sort of the Braves broadcast. Matt, how are you, man? What's going on with you? Great at this point. Just waiting for the draft to approach. At this point, we're really starting to get up closer and find out a lot more 
information that's coming out, both the true information and the intentional false information that gets put out around the draft? Yeah, I want all of you to love anything as much as Matt loves the draft. I mean, like, I, I get probably, I don't know, I would say around 50 messages from him a day, whether it be in our group chat or just, just to me about what's going on with the draft or what we think's going on with the draft and what could be in play and what could not be in play. And this information changes constantly, and Matt is really on top of kind of collating all that information. You know, Matt's going to have his opinions, and obviously all of us are going to have our different opinions, but what's fascinating is kind of how the narrative and how the the where players are going to get picked and what teams are trying to do, how that evolves right up until draft day, and that's going to be something that changes, and we're going to do our best to keep you up to date with that. Uh, with that in mind, next week is going to be a big part of that, is that we're going to have one Carlos Colazzo from Baseball America, their, their uh, newly minted draft guru and former Talking Chop writer. Well, he's going to come and join us, and we're going to do a deep dive into kind of what's going on with the draft. We're going to you know try to get some, make sense of what the Braves could be doing and who they're looking at for the moment anyway. Um, again, we, we still think there's a lot of information that's being, you know, they're still trying to figure out you know what they can sign guys for, who they think are going to be available. So don't expect anything definitive next week. But Carlos is great. He's really kind of plugged into the whole process, and hopefully we'll be able to get some more information. Also, the current plan is to have Kylie McDaniel back on the podcast before the draft. It's a little bit tricky for him because he's right now he's traveling a lot to watch draft prospects and things like that. We were going to try to have him on this week. Couldn't quite make it work in terms of scheduling. He was just kind of bound. He's bouncing all over the country and having to do a lot of other different stuff, especially with his responsibilities over in Fangraphs. So the current plan is to try to have him on soon before the draft, but... I would imagine it would be probably uh, not the, the week after Carlos is on in some form or fashion. We'll see what happens. Um, but that's not really what we're here to talk about. We're going to be doing a bit of a mailbag episode uh, this go around in the meantime while we're kind of in a bit of a holding pattern, partially because we haven't really, there's not a whole lot of crazy news other than the Austin Riley promotion, which uh, Garov's going to talk about here in a second. But we're going to go over some few top promote performers, and then we did ask for some questions on Twitter, and we're going to kind of go over those and go forth. So, Garav, give us your kind of the top top performers, and I'm one of those names in particular is going to, you know, kind of come up, uh, you know, is going to be a familiar one if we've been listening the last few weeks. So Austin Riley has a 1.212 OPS over his last 10 games over in Gwinnett, and then he comes up here, and after one game, his OPS is even higher. <laughs> and then leading off this, not leading off, but... Earlier in this game, he hits a home run, or not a home run, but a ball that should have been a home run had he had, like, if he could bench maybe an ounce more, it would go, like, half an inch more and count as a two-run. Or, or hit it anywhere else in the ballpark. Literally anywhere else, and it's a home run. Like, the guy is unconscious right now. He's he's not getting fooled by anything. Uh, elite speed is, is, isn't a problem for him. Uh, he, he's recognized. <laughs> yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, I, I never understood that. Uh, he's not having, he's seeing the ball at an incredible level. He, he hasn't walked in the majors yet, but again, it's one game. Uh, he's not striking out. He's walking well. He's mat, when he makes contact, he's matching the ball. He still provides really good value, uh, defensively at third. I, I'm, I'm interested in when that, First start at third is going to be, and I wanted to see how he does. But you know, in Gwinnett, he was doing fantastic. Left field, it's been a, it's been interesting. Uh, he, he doesn't have the greatest range, but again, I'm basing it off a sample size of one game, so who knows? Uh, but the guy's not going anywhere. He's going to be in Atlanta for the rest. I, I'm so excited. And I do just want to make that comment. You said he's not striking out, but that's not actually true. 
It only happens when Gaurav decides to tweet out before the event. <laughs> Literally, like, two seconds later. Garav is absolutely the kiss of death. If you want someone to have a bad game, have Garav say he's going to go nuts. Uh, (laughs) Particularly Austin Riley not striking out. He will strike out. It's 100% going to happen. Who else have you got? Uh, I mean, one of the – I wanted to talk about a certain player, but I think we have have another player that's – we're going to be talking about a little later – uh, over in Gwinnett as well, but another shout out, I guess, to Adam Duvall, who hit his 13th home run of the season. Uh, it really seems like, I don't know how much is the AAA ball is impacting. I'm sure it has to do with those power numbers, but you know, he's doing extremely well. He's forcing, he's forcing the Braves to try and make some interesting decisions about possibly like adding him on the bench. You add him on the bench too, and you have people like Camargo, you have Duvall, you, you are creating a very, very good lineup. They just need the pitchers to work out now, but like, this lineup not only is super young, but it's filled with talent, and with Dansby starting to hit his stride, like, Atlanta, they're looking good for the next, like, six to eight years. This is really fun baseball to watch. See, I think it's more likely that they move Duvall, honestly, because I just don't think that they're going to move Matt Joyce out of the role that he's in. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I feel like that they could, they could get more value out of maybe trading Duvall away. And keeping Matt. Oh, Jordan. totally, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. But uh, it's interesting just because of how well he's played. I mean, Rafael Ortega in Gwinnett's played really well. That whole outfield, like especially when Austin Riley was mashing in there, like that outfield was insane. And it, like Gwinnett hasn't skipped a beat. You know, with Austin Riley getting promoted, that like everyone's hitting home runs, uh, and it makes you wonder kind of what's in the water down there. But um, overall, I agree. Uh, we do have another. I know that Grov has specifically wanted a guy. We have a talk. We got a question in the mailbag about that guy, so we'll. Kind of push that back just a little bit. But, um, Matt, who have you got in terms of top performers? So I'll go with the new guy first and start with the guy that we've been talking about a lot. But Kyle Muller has really started to stand out. And I, you have forgotten about the start of the year already. He was not very good in April. I mean, he was no. just not able to find the strike zone. The first three times he started... He didn't even make it four innings in any of those starts. I think he walked four guys, four guys, six guys. Uh, from there, he got a little bit better, but, I mean, there was still a five-walk start in there, and it, the command was just such a mess through those first five starts of the year, but he's really turned it around since. I mean, since, actually, it was his first May start that really seemed to be the start of him turning the corner. He went on May 5th, seven innings with just three walks. No runs given up. No runs given up. Then another seven innings on the 10th. He walked two, gave up a run. And then his most recent start was yesterday, and he went six and two-thirds, gave up an earned run, only walked two. So from a guy who was walking four, four, six, five, with the lone exception in there being two over five and a third, to having walked a total of seven guys over his last 20 and two-thirds innings. I mean, he's finally hitting the strike zone, pitching well. He's given up two earned runs over those 20 and two-thirds innings. He's also struck out 16 in that time, with a couple six-strikeout games in there as well. I mean, you can't ask for him to be doing much better, considering he's, what, 21 at this point, and he's already in double-A. So he's just... Right now, pitching like the guy that we were hoping he would be at the start of the year. It's a little insane that you 
that he's 21 because it feels like he's been around for a long. Like this is their, this is also including a season where he was held back in rookie ball because like his velocity was down and he couldn't like command the ball to save his life. Uh, he is a story of how like drivelines broke. I don't think drivelines program helps everybody in terms of like you know like pitching you know their, their pitching coaching philosophy and kind of how they do things. But I think it really does help some people, and it really helped Kyle. He got his velocity way up, to, way back up there again. Kind of worked out a lot of mechanical issues he had, and he throws gas like it's like ninety six, ninety seven now, and like in, with a, maybe a touch more if he really reaches back for it. Uh, it's all about commanding it, obviously, and. There are certainly strides being made, you know what I mean? And, you know, yes, the 28 walks in 39 innings this year is a little bit unsightly, but Matt's 100% right. It's definitely been, it's definitely been trending better, and it's something we're watching closely because we really like Kyle coming into the year, and there's a lot of things to like about in terms of, like, you know, the videos that are coming out of the offseason about how hard, how hard he was throwing. Um, but overall, I, I, I agree. He's kind of one of those guys that we kind of forget about with just the sheer number of pitching prospects. Uh, even in his own rotation, there's a lot of guys who maybe get a little bit more uh, press than than he does, but he's he's been he's been good despite the walks. He's still been you know limiting the, the damage overall. So uh, who else have we got? And the guy that we've talked about before, you just can't not talk about him, Trey Harris. I mean, if you look at his numbers in the last what is it nine games or so at this point, he's thirteen for his last twenty seven. So he's basically hitting five hundred or so since the last time we actually recorded he's got a homer in there he's got uh eight rbis in that time he has walking as much as he's striking out all this guy is doing is hitting and he's hitting at a very high level like i just at this point don't understand why this 23 year old who is hitting this listen to this triple slash line on the year 383 461 586 that's a 1048 OPS. Why is he still in Rome? I mean, you can't ask for him to do anything more than what he's doing. Yeah, I agree. I just, I don't I mean, I know it's an early, those early season promotions can be tricky because you kind of have to figure out the spots above you, but he doesn't belong there. He just doesn't belong in Rome. He's too good for that league. He's the best. I think he's the best hitter in the, in the South Atlantic League right now. Um, not saying he's the best prospect. That's not what I mean. Just in terms of just overall hitting ability, who like where he's at right now, he doesn't belong there. He needs to be. He needs to be getting to high A. Uh, I mean, I don't think you know, given his age, it wouldn't be crazy if they put him in double A. But I think more likely a move to high A is going to be likely, and I would imagine it has to come soon. He's just he's going to hit his way out of the league, and he has out of that league, and he has to figure out. The Braves have to figure out what they have in him, rather than just you know let him waste away in Rome. It's 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 it. It's just a waste. It's just that's what it is. I mean, the only reason you could think of keeping him in Rome is the outfield defense could use some work. I mean, he's got the athleticism, and I think he's going to end up being a very strong defender in the outfield. I think it's just a matter of the fact that, and I wrote about this earlier in the week, of my, what I saw when I saw the Rome team, that he played so much second base in college that he's getting used to the reads and routes of an outfielder a little bit and just needs that time to develop. But it's the minor leagues having him make some slight errors defensively where he still has the speed to recover. Is it well worth it to promote him just to keep the bat challenged? Well, my thing about that is if you want to see a guy that get a bunch of fly balls that are actually in play that normally shouldn't be, and you want to see what he can get to and what he can't, you should send him to the Florida State League because that's where home runs and fly balls go to die. And I just, I don't know. I, I, 
I get it. I get that there's like a lot of moving parts to, you know, moving guys in roster spots, especially position players, pitchers, you know, you can kind of make things work and, you know, squeeze guys in, you know, with rotation spots and, you know, kind of moving, you know, going to six man rotations kind of sorta and things like that. But he, he needs to be moved up. It's just that simple. Um, the only name I'm going to mention, uh, for mine, uh, cause you guys named some really good ones and we have some others that we're going to kind of be covering in the mailbag part of this. I'm gonna keep jumping up on up and down on Hay- on Hayden Deal until he, he either proves me that he's not gonna just be completely lights out or he's promoted because this guy's been insane. He has made seven starts this year, and in six of them he has given up one run or less. The other start he gave up two. He's striking out batters. He's not walking a ton of guys. A couple, you know, he had a couple a three walk game and a four walk game. All the other ones have been exemplary. He's not he bat, opposing batters are batting. 188 against him, and what interests me about him is that I think he could stick as a starter. I truly do. Um, but what's interesting about me is that his profile overall becomes a lot more interesting because he doesn't have the platoon splits you would expect. And I, we've talked about a little bit about this a little bit before. Is that obviously the lefty on lefty matchup that's going to favor him? You know, he obviously thrown from that left side. It's going to give you know he's going to have some advantages over left-handed batters. But he's actually been performing better against righties. And again, I've talked to a few people about this, and this is going to be an article coming out probably sometime next week, is that he has a really good cutter. I've, had, I've talked to one scout that said they put a 55 on it right now. Um, and when you have a cutter that you can – and then you also have a fastball that's you know a, more true, that you can throw 93, 94, and the cutter is 90, 91, 92, something like that, your profile becomes pretty interesting because there's not a lot of guys with like really good cutters. Um, that we've seen some in the major leagues. Uh, in particular, we've seen like uh, like Kluber has a good one. We've seen um, James Paxton from the left side has a good one. When when AJ Minter is right, he's his is really good. These are all these are all a pitch that you don't necessarily see people who are really good at and have you have to have a lot of feel for. And he and Hayden seemingly has it. And you know the guy has a 1.3 ERA. And granted, it's in the Florida State League, so you have to kind of keep that in mind in terms of you know how his uh. He's, he's getting his outs, but he's, stri- he's striking out almost a batter, a batter per inning. He's not walking a ton of guys. Uh, his last start, six and two-thirds, one earned run. He did give up four walks. He also struck out seven batters. And he seems to consistently pitch into the sixth or seventh inning every every start out there. Uh, he's another guy that I think needs to be moved up, and then they can kind of you know figure things out from there. Um, with that, guys, we're going to uh, take a quick break. Uh, and for you know for some for some advertisements, and then after that, we're going to get to these questions. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 
Twenty-nine.com. All right, and we're back with the mailbag portion of Road to Atlanta. This is going to be an interesting one because we have a wide varying uh, degree of topics that have been asked of us. Uh, some of them were major league uh, questions. Uh, we're not going to be doing those. Uh, that'd be more for like the Talking Chop podcast, things like that. Um, but the first one, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to defer a little bit to Matt to start with. I have some thoughts on this guy, but um, David Didwitty asks, uh, "Who is Ben Rowan, and could he actually be a thing? Only one home run in 21 AAA innings, pretty solid career minor league numbers, and has only had a couple cups of coffee in the majors despite being 30 years old." Matt, what are your thoughts on Ben Rowan? Matt? Oh, I was actually talking on mute there, so sorry about that. He's an interesting relief guy. Uh, he's always been a guy that's been kind of noticed, but he hasn't really been able to ever put it together and get the opportunity. I mean, it seemed like forever ago at this point that he was actually a prospect of some ability in the Texas organization, I mean, he put up some great numbers with Texas earlier in this decade. I guess that's the best way to say it. Yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah, it was that long ago. I mean, when they had a bunch of arms that were coming up at that point, and that was, I want to say that was still back when Nolan Ryan was still involved in the decision-making and Mike Maddox was involved with coaching the pitching, that that's when he was really starting to make a name for himself. He looked like a guy that could be a future closer, future setup man. I mean, he was never going to be a starter, so it's not like this is a guy that was ever a failed starter. He was always just lights out as a bullpen guy. He never actually had that massive K rate that you'd think, but the results were just insane. I mean, he had multiple years and stops with ZRA below one or below two, depending on which stop it was actually at. And and he just suddenly fell off from there. I mean, the numbers were still good. They just weren't quite that level good. He kicked around to a couple different teams and organizations from there. And he really completely fell off the radar for everybody, maybe between the years 2016 or so. And this year, I mean, this guy is not a guy that was really mentioned to go anywhere. I want to say last year, he pitched with Louisville in AAA, and he had an ERA above nine. I mean, he did not throw many games. He just did not look like a guy that belonged in professional baseball at that point. And then he comes out this year, and he's dominating. I will say this correct about him. Me. Go ahead, Matt. Go ahead, Ralph. I was going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with his arsenal just not being too sexy. He relies on, you know, how he throws. But like his fastball sits in the low 80s and you see that against major league hitters and you're a little wary that despite his delivery that it could be hittable. I mean, that's, that's the only assumption I really have uh, as to why he never took that next step. Yeah, I think that I the, the idea that there's just not that many submariner and that, that that's what Grav's talking about is that he does have kind of that super sidearm almost throwing it like super softball fast pitch uh type delivery going for him. Uh Grav, I actually need you to look this up on the Road to Atlanta account because someone with suspiciously similar last name uh and by that I mean the exact last name to Ben Rowan responded to that question. 
uh, on the Road to Atlanta account and mentioned that he not only is still throwing Submariner, but he also added a three-quarter arm slot uh, to, like, some of his pitches, which makes it kind of interesting. I, I can't imagine, like, I don't even understand how that would work. Like, sometimes you throw Submariner, sometimes it's three-quarters. I'm not even sure what that gets you. Um, but my problem, I mean, the, the profile in terms of, like, his track record, he's the kind of guy that you kind of have to ha- sign as a journeyman because, you know, he has a track record of performance. You know, he's kind of a quad A guy. Um, I think it speaks a lot to the fact that what Ben Rowan's primarily job has been is that when a random starter for Gwinnett needs to be called up to the Braves, his sole mission in life is to be the opener for three innings. You know what I mean? Um, it's not that I don't like him, because uh, because I I, I, I I am intrigued by him, but he is a 30 year old reliever. He's been performing really well. I think his last his last appearance wasn't particularly great, but and you know for a Braves bullpen that needs you know something to go right, and there's no one's really holding on to those jobs. It wouldn't be crazy to me that maybe at some point they at least give him a try at least once. But overall, uh, it, and it was funny that the, uh, that, uh, that someone responded kind of with that little nugget that he kind of did change his delivery up or at least intermittently. Uh, I haven't had a chance to actually see him because generally what happens is if Rowan is starting, that means that either one of the guys that, that was that Gwinnett got called up and I'll be watching that game or there's been something else going on in the minor league. So I haven't actually had a chance to see him throw this year. But um, you know, in terms of a profile, I don't might give my chance, but you know, that's just me. I will say I'm I'm looking at this certain person's uh, Twitter history, and uh, it's pretty much all about Ben. So either a family member, or you know, maybe Ben Rowan just has a big big fans. <laughs> well, I I hope I hope that I hope and the information is useful, don't get me wrong, and thank thank you for letting us know that he kind of made those changes to his delivery because I think that a change like that makes him interesting. I just don't necessarily know what the benefit. I mean, truthfully, I just don't know what the benefit is to that mechanical change that makes him profile better long term. Uh, and the bigger problem is that He's 30 years old, and he kind of has an atypical delivery with stuff that is a little bit debatable. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit iffy. It's it's a hard profile for a reliever, but one that he's made work, so it's, it's something we can't ignore. Um, next question we have is from Sam Ruffner. And uh, Sam asks, do ranked prospects perform better when playing together? Do you think Pache Waters would be performing as well as they were on separate teams, assuming the same level? Uh, Garav, I'll let you talk about your boys first, and I'll kick at the map. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think that they perform better when they're playing together, but it definitely adds some fuel to the fire. You know, I'm sure they have uh, kind of daily goals where they try to beat each other. But I, as a whole, I, I don't really think it really makes too big of an impact. Uh, I think it's fun, and I think it creates good competition. But you're talking about two absolute studs of prospects with like incredible tools. So while I like the story, I just, I don't see it. I don't see any tangible proof that, you know, something like that actually happens. Matt, what about you? I actually have to agree there too. It's interesting to me because of how they're being used, this specific tandem, I think that generally speaking, players 
the results will be better and the numbers will be better if the players around them are better because you score more runs, you're you know, like more attention is going to have to be paid to the player at the plate or the player on the bases. And generally speaking, if your team is good, if your teammates are good, then it will be helpful for you. That said, what is interesting about this specific tandem is that Pache and Waters are like alternating starts in right field and center. I, Waters had a start in left the other day, but – Generally, it's been like they, you know, one day Pache will be in center and the other day, you know, Waters will be in right, and then they switch back and forth. Waters has been entrenched in the leadoff spot, and Pache has been has, has stuck in the second has at second in the order. I could see a bit of competition happening there, but honestly, I think that unless they were in like a really a situation they really weren't enjoying, and then like so, let's say they're both a double A, but like you know the. You know, the team was really bad and they were like it was in a really particularly bad area or something like, you know, like a, a town that they really hated. I mean, Pearl, Mississippi's not exactly a, you know, a metropolitan, you know, joy, but I, I don't see it making that much of a difference. But however, I do, I could see a certain amount of like a friendly rivalry, particularly with the kind of knowing that, you know, Drew is very like hard on himself and a competitive, competitive guy. I don't know if it necessarily drives Pache all that much, but I do think that. It might have some marginal benefit, maybe just like marginal at best. Um, I don't think it's something that's making them like hit the cover off the ball. I think that they're going to have ebbs and flows. Uh, we're seeing Pache going through a little bit of uh, a bit of a downswing. He hasn't had a particularly great last three games, but before that he was doing well. And Pache and Waters has had a really good few games. So I think we're going to see that back and forth. I think these guys are just really talented, uh, and it's nice to think that maybe that they drive one another. But I think that these are two guys that are kind of are driven just generally. Um, Dan Brockett asks, how long would Pache and Waters have to continue to rake to be promoted to AAA, and how far ahead of their expected trajectory would that put them? Matt, I'm going to go to you first. I can't see it happening before the All-Star break in the minor leagues at this point. I mean, this is a very aggressive assignment already. Putting them in AAA is another real aggressive assignment because although it doesn't sound like much – you're seeing big league pitching. I mean, the guys that you're facing in AAA, for the most part, it's not guys that are not close to the big leagues or working through a lot of things. These are basically the guys that are in the big league pitching staff, just numbered out because they're depth guys. I mean, they're essentially big league pitchers. So asking a kid that young to face a guy who's the 13th pitcher on the Yankees roster, for example. I mean, that's not exactly easy versus facing some 23, 24-year-old kid who still, I mean, it's still good competition and still significantly better than high A, and that's why double A is the first step up. But you're really starting to face another level once you reach triple A. And obviously it's, Another huge step up once you face big league pitching, but I you just can't rush these kids with the bat, especially a guy like Pache who's still learning how to actually take better at bats at this point. Gaurav, what about you, bud? Yeah, for me, uh, it's I'm probably a little yeah, I'm even more hesitant than than Matt. There, I think it was just a crazy aggressive assignment for Drew. Uh, you knew Pache was going to start in Mississippi because he was already there, and you like he's raking and it's fantastic. But there's really no reason for them to be too aggressive. I 
personally, I, I see them staying Mississippi the entire year, and then perhaps next year they start in Gwinnett. I just I don't think you need to necessarily rush them. Just let them work on what they need to work with in Mississippi, and then starting next year, start to you know have them like Matt said, have them face the more refined talent, but they're still facing big league talent right now. So I, I'll just go ahead and say this. I don't think that Drew Waters is getting promoted to AAA, if for no other reason that I think he's been hitting really well. There are things about his offensive profile, particularly you want I want him to get as many at-bats from the right side as possible. And not necessarily be put in like kind of that pressure cooker of like being right at AAA, right under the microscope uh, type of thing. I, I do want him to get more, and I want him to start drawing walks more. And I did not think that I was going to have to say that more about him than Pache at this point in the season. But here we are. Uh, we're you know about he has about 100, and, I guess 160, 170 plate appearances right now, and he's drawn like eight walks this year, um, which isn't great. And I kind of want to see him when he's not kind of taking advantage of like getting some some pretty fair luck on balls in play to kind of see him be able to still produce at a high level by, you know, taking better at bats and drawing some more walks. Um, it's kind of hard to expect that because he's, he's kind of hitting so well right now that, you know, obviously your bad bit is going to look good during those, during those hot streaks and you're not going to necessarily be taking as many pitches, but I kind of want to see that development in his game. Uh, he's looking really good defensively though. Um, Pache is more interesting to me as a potential call up around the, and Matt was, I think Matt's about right. At least the all-star break, uh, maybe a little bit after, uh, Pache already had some time coming into the year in double A. And so kind of, if you give him that chunk of time, plus maybe a little over half a season, that makes some sense to me to move him. But only if he's hitting, he's not a guy you have to rush. If for no other reason that one, Gwinnett already has a, a, an outfield that you kind of have to figure out what you want to do with those guys, whether it be to like you know, use them on the bench or possibly trade them in the case of Adam Duvall or move them up or whatever, because Austin Riley just took the outfield spot in Atlanta, and he's playing in left field right now. We don't know how long Ender's going to be out with that back issue. And that kind of makes these roster decisions a lot trickier. Now, if there's a situation where at the trade deadline or we're getting down to it and, you know, Austin still is still playing in the outfield or, you know, moving around between the outfield, third base, first base, you know, kind of moving around a little bit to kind of to keep his bat in the lineup because, I mean, he's already two for two tonight and he drove in a run um, just a little bit ago. If that's the case and you end up moving on from Ender or something like that happens, then you can kind of start making these decisions about maybe bringing up Pache and kind of seeing where he's at. But I'm not in the in in both those guys' cases. I'm I tend to agree with the other guys is that give these guys at bats and give them some time because honestly, right now there's not a a huge rush a, a huge need for them. You know, if the Braves decide they want to move on from Nick Markakis at the end of the year for whatever reason. Uh, and then they need to rely on one of Pache or Waters, you can still make that same decision. I mean, it's not the craziest notion to call up someone from AA anyway, and, but right now I don't see the need to push them that far, especially since they've already kind of semi-converted Austin Riley into an outfielder, and they have some guys on their bench that can you know, play some outfield spots too if necessary. Um, the next, one's from da- next question is from Daniel, and it says, What's up with Kyle Wright this year? Is it just his struggle sustaining Velo and facing orders second and third times through? If so, could he be a wrong a long reliever candidate? Matt, I'm gonna throw this one of you to you first, and now I've got some thoughts. So this is the same thing that happened to Kyle his junior year at Vanderbilt when he came out, and remember he came into that year as the likely number one pick overall, but he was not very good at all to start the year. 
to the point where some people were actually talking about him falling out of the first round altogether. I mean, he was overthrowing and overthinking things, and it makes sense because he had a lot of pressure on him thinking, I need to go out and perform and show I am the number one pick this year because while he was considered the number one, it was no guarantee he would be the number one. And I think it's just a case of that right now. I mean, if you remember, there were scouts that were saying this was the best pitcher in Florida this spring. He came out on the opening series, looked great against Philly. I mean, he battled the cold and struggled a little with command because of that, because you can't really control the ball in that kind of cold. But from there, it's just been downhill in the major leagues, gets sent down, struggles in AAA. And I really think it's just a matter. I mean, the stuff is there. He's a smart kid. He knows what he's doing, but I think he's just putting a lot of pressure on himself and overthrowing and overthinking things right now and just needs to break and to get his head right to get back to what he is and what we know he can be, just like he did that junior at Vanderbilt when he turned himself back into another candidate for the first overall pick yet again by the end of that spring. So... I have kind of, I wouldn't say famously, but I have been, I think, lower on right historically than you guys have. And my reasoning for that has been partially command. And like that, we're kind of seeing some of that. I mean, like it's not like news and it's not, doesn't take require a lot of insight to see, to see that, you know, he's had command issues in the past. My issue primarily has been that he looks great the first time through in order and then one of two things – well, I say that. One of three things happens. Either he ends up he's – ha- he has had plenty of good outings, you know, that gone six or seven innings, and, you know, he, he's he's looked like the, one of the top pro- pitching prospects in baseball. And my my qualm is not with the stuff. It's not with, like, you know, it, it it's not, like, no injury stuff. It's not anything like that. I think that, you know, his pitches are graded correctly. I think that he is a really – like a top – like a really good starting pitching prospect – my primary problem has always been is that this, the, that second time through the order, he'll have some starts where he gets through that and he just mows through them and everything goes well. Or either his approach changes and he starts like nibbling and like not attacking hitters and like he gets himself in these bad situations where he'll walk a couple guys and then he, he's forced to kind of like groove pitches to kind of push strikes over or the command completely goes away altogether. And like it's not a matter of he's not trying to attack hitters. It's that he can't. And, you know, all of a sudden pitchers are all over the place. He'll bury pitches in the dirt. The, you know, the, the, the breaking ball goes away. And I don't really know what to attribute that to. I tend to agree with Matt that there's something mentally that I, I, want, I want to say is wrong, but because that implies something that I don't mean. It's more that I don't understand how to fix it. It's a, very similar to a, a Sean Newcomb problem, right? Because, like, the stuff's there, and he'll look great for a little while, and then all of a sudden the wheels come off. And that's what happens with Wright is that the wheels come off and all of a sudden he'll have a big a big inning and a bad inning and the overall line looks really bad and it doesn't really tell the whole story. I don't really know exactly what the answer is. I the short answer to your last question that do I think he's a, lo- a long relief option? I think he'll probably see some time getting called up here and there to be a long reliever mainly because the Braves just need bodies there right now and there's not a spot for him in the rotation at the moment. Um but in terms of like that his long-term spot, I still think he's a starter. I still think he can figure it out. Uh, the stuff's too good, and, and it's kind of similar to what we thought about Fulty, and we've thought about other guys in the past. Newcomb's another example, is that the stuff is so good when he's good 
that you have to at least you have to make sure that he really does fail as a starter before you convert him into a bullpen role. And I again, I still really like him, but there's a concerns that I've had for a while now, certainly since his time in Mississippi, um, and even maybe a little bit of time before, maybe a little bit of concerns coming out of the draft. But again, he kind of what Matt was talking about was true. Is they kind of he kind of came back, but that second half of the his last year in college and kind of disprove some of that. But I mean, a lot, there's similar issues and there are parallels to be drawn. I just don't know if it's something that's going to continually repeat itself. Um, and it's something that I don't really know how to put my, put my finger on. Cause it doesn't seem like it's something mechanically. It's not one pitch that's kind of, that's kind of failing him. It's just that he's just kind of that, it's that second time, second time, third time through the order. He just starts looking a little rough and, I don't, I don't necessarily even think it's a velocity problem. I think it's just kind of how he's choosing to go about attacking hitters that, that next time through. And it's kind of, that's a, that's a tougher problem to solve. Um, next question we have from Patrick McCarthy, who, uh, has, is a champion question answer, by the way. Patrick, you know, every time I do a Q&A on Twitter, every time we do these mailbags, you're always in on them. Greatly appreciate you following along and asking questions and participating. We really appreciate it. Um, he asks, what's going on with Ian Anderson? He seems to be struggling in most of his starts, especially with walks. Are you guys concerned? Grab him and kick it to you first. You know, he's, he's a bit of an enigma. Uh, you look at the walk rate and you're like, oh crap. But then you see what, even despite like these obvious slight mechanical issues he's having, which is what I believe is the issue, he's still striking out almost 12 for nine. So am I worried about him long term? No. I still think that his ceiling is, you know, I mean, I did have him above Mike Soroka, and I know Eric wanted to kill me, uh, but like, and look just, how wrong you were. Just, just pure, just, just pure stuff. You know, I, Ian Anderson is incredible. Uh, he just needs a little more, a little more time. He's still very, very young. Uh, it could be, it could be a little not aggravating, but it could be a little frustrating because you know he's ready to take that next step. He's ready to take that next step to become that elite pitching prospect, but. There's always these slight mechanical changes that cause him to kind of lose like confidence in himself almost. Uh, and then he'll fix it, he'll write the ship, and then something will happen again, and then he'll have like three bad outings, and then he'll be absolutely dynamic for a month straight where he'll strike out like eleven per eleven per nine while walking under two, and then he'll have one rough start and he'll kind of you know compound himself. But that's just part of being a professional player. You know, he's gonna he's gonna learn how to get it, how to put it all together, how to become more consistent. How to turn these bad outings around and, and show up the next game. Like I'm, I'm fully confident in him. I'm fully confident in his skill set. I still think that he has the highest ceiling of any prospect we have or any pitching prospect we have. Uh, so am I concerned? No. Am I frustrated? Yes. Do I think it's going to be a problem for the entire season? No, not at all. Matt, what about you, bud? I think the command has definitely taken a slight setback so far this year, and I want to say that might actually be because the breaking balls have been slightly less than what they were in the past. They've gone slightly downhill, and this is not just my opinion. It's something I've heard from others as well, and I mean, that would definitely make sense that because the breaking ball isn't quite what it was, that he's not also commanding that because of the slight change to it and it's something that I want to watch a little bit more going forward just to see and I'm really thinking that he might actually be down a slight amount not a full grade 
but maybe from a future 60 value to maybe a future 55 value overall as a pitcher. At, I'm thinking that might be where he's at right now as compared to where he came at, came in at the spring. But of course, if he's able to get that breaking ball right to exactly where we saw last year, he can immediately kick back up to that future 60 value. I don't think that the, the, the secondaries have been as good as they were last year. My, one of my problem, and like, this is, again, these are, these are limited looks. Uh, we're, we're talking about 35 innings this year, just, for, just for the reference, but he's, he's walked 28 batters in 35 and two thirds this year, which is not good. That's, but that, I think that pace, I agree with Grav, is unsustainably bad. He's just not, he's just better than that. Uh, we've never seen him walk that many guys, and I don't think that like the strike zone in the Mississippi or the hitters in Double in A are so much better at taking balls that like that's the guy he is. I think that that in general it's unsustainably bad. Um, I I do agree with Matt that the command is kind of taking a step back, uh, particularly those breaking pitches. But the part of me that is almost concerned is that his fastball command. I mean, used to, what used to happen uh, in previous seasons was that if he didn't have his breaking stuff, he could still pipe that fastball, particularly at the top of the zone, and still get it for strikes and get guys to swing at it. And it seems like guys aren't biting on it, and it seems to be not something he's commanding as well either, which is that, – that compounds every problem because if, if you have command of your fastball, you can kind of get away with not having the best command of your secondary pitches because – you know, players are having the respect to the fastball and, you know, those, you'll get those really bad swings on like those balls in the dirt, things like that. And especially if you're kind of getting the same, the same tunnel on your pitches where, you know, it looks the same for, you know, that first third of the way to the plate, the batter starts to swing until he realizes it's, you know, it's diving away from him, it's sliding away from him, or it's a change up. And because he's not commanding any of his pitches, it, he has to at least command the fastball. And it doesn't seem like he is. Uh, on a consistent basis. He's still striking out batters, and honestly, the results haven't been that bad. It's not like we're talking about a guy who has an ERA of nine this year. You know what I mean? It's a guy that, you know, has just looked consistent from a, inconsistent from a command perspective, and it kind of makes you worry that you're giving up this many free passes, what's going to happen when he's going against more and more advanced hitters and better hitters. But I uh, tend to agree with Garav that it's a little bit frustrating to watch, and I think it might have his stock may have taken a, a ding, but again, he's another guy that I haven't been super, I haven't been as high on as others. But my primary reason for that was because I didn't think that uh, during his season in Rome that I thought he was completely healthy. Uh, I don't have any reason to believe that he hasn't been healthy. It's more of a question now of you know what what's going on with his command, and in particular, like he has to at least command the fastball correct. Well, if once he can get, if he can at least get one of those pitches, he should be in good shape. And that's that's the thing, and that's why I I don't take too much stock in it is because. Hitters are still not hitting him, right? He's he's hitters are hitting a, like uh, have a 622 uh, opposing uh, OPS against him, and that's mainly inflated by that walk rate. Like he's yep. got a 285 slugging percentage against. Like people are still not hitting against him at all. He's causing damage to himself, and that's why I'm not like I'm sure I'll I'll, I'll make sure to do what Matt said, and I'm going to watch his breaking pitches next time and see if I notice anything different. But like. I just I, that's why I don't take too much stock into it. It looks like he's just hurting himself right now, and it's a little bit mental. And I still fully believe that he's going to right this ship, and uh, he'll be fine by the end of the season. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May fifth. 
hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Yeah, now that we, all three of us have like voiced our concerns about it, it's almost like Kevin he's going to go eight innings and strike out 14 batters the next time going out. Because I think that actually happened the last time we – like the, la, the last iteration of Road to Atlanta, we were worried about you know, Ian mean, was like walking too many guys, and then he like had some insane start for Rome or something like that. I mean, I should just tweet about it, and he'll end up with like negative three walks to his next <laughs> appearance. Yeah, they actually like, you know, give him – like actually, you know, we're going to take a few off his, your previous line. It was so good. Uh, that'd be That'd be funny. Um, next question we've got is from Anonymous, uh, which says, do Carlos Paraguate and Darlington Florentino in Rome turn into anything special, or do they have a long way to go? Uh, I'm going to throw it to Matt first because he's seen them very recently live. Uh, I'm actually going to see them – well, I won't see Darlington because he's hurt, uh, but uh, I'm going to go see them tomorrow. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on those two guys? I first want to say you've called him Darlington. He's actually just Darling, but uh, – Darling, Darling, or, Darling. Yeah. Yeah, both of those guys are extremely raw. Both of those guys are going to take a very long time. Both of those guys have real talent in them, but neither of them is going to be ready any time in the next four years, for sure. I mean, these guys are five years out if they make it. They're that kind of player. They're lottery tickets who are probably a good five years away from the big leagues if they're ever going to make it. They need to work significantly on their hit tool. Their defense... Particularly Paraguate is shown potential, but that needs some work to actually gain consistency. I mean, Darling is definitely behind defensively, but Darling has significant power, but he he's the John Daly of low A. He just wants to rip it and rip it. He swings for the fences every time. Uh, there's huge size. There's plenty of athleticism in his large body. I mean, he's obviously a guy that the Braves are confident in enough that they're willing to challenge him as a 17-year-old by starting him in full season. Now I get that part of that has something to do with the sanctions taking away some of the numbers and us being a little light in the farm system at that level, but they're still willing to give him the chances to have signing some low-A minor league free agent that they could just put in the lineup. So... I mean, that does speak to what you have in him. Um, Paraguante is definitely the speed and defense type, and he's got a little bit more pop in his back than you'd ever expect by looking at his frame and looking at his numbers. But he definitely needs to learn how to make more consistent contact. But both of these guys do have potential. Gaurav, what about you, bud? I can't wait until the two of them join Izzy Wilson to create like one of the most dynamic teams of all time. Like that. <laughs> no, I like, pretty much what Matt said. You know, they're they're super raw. There's like I I, I personally am not gonna like I don't know. It, there's there's just so much that they need to improve on right now before we we you know kind of talk too much about them. I do like what we I do remember your first DM about Darling. Eric, and you're just like that was a massive man, like a mountain of a man. I, I, a I swear, uniform. I thought I swear I thought I was looking at a 21 year old, and I'm like, who is that? And then someone said it was Florentino. I was like, are you serious? Like I've, in terms of pure like 
like as a physical specimen, there he 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 really stood out. And then we started watching them during the workout, and he, he, a lot of swings looked like he was on roller skates, and like his feet didn't really seem to be under him. Very similar to what we saw like early Rome Christian Pace is like you know like it just felt like he was always off balance. Um, and I I like the the potential for both these guys, but we're talking about a guy who had a. Uh, we're talking about a guy who, like, in Darlington, in Darling, who has a, like, sub six, a sub 600 OPS, and then we have Carlos Paraguate, who currently has a sub 500 OPS. I like Paraguate defensively. He, he does seem to have some smooth actions in the infield. Florentino's a little bit more of a, like, you know, seems a little stiffer, and it's kind of hard to see, it's hard to see what he could be. Simply because he's so raw, and he seems like he's still I kind mean, of learning things. I mean, you're talking about someone who should be facing high school talent right now. He's so young; like, it's just really, really too tough to evaluate him uh, against his competition. It's almost unfair. Like, like Matt said, uh, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with our the low minors just being kind of devoid of of, of players because of the sanctions. Uh, there's just yeah, there's so far away that I'm I'm happy that we've created this culture where people are asking these questions because that's incredible and I love how people know guys like this, but it's not really someone that's necessarily on the radar for at least like three years to me. Yeah, it's gonna be a while on those guys. Um, they're nice to dream about, nice to kind of keep tabs on because again they were really young when they got added to Rome's roster, but. Don't don't get your hopes up about them appearing on any top thirty prospect list anytime soon. Um, Ryan Hutchin asks, uh, how hard is it to gauge position player versus pitcher stats when going from High A Florida to Double A Mississippi or Triple A? Since the FSL is such a pitcher friendly league, do you do you just take some stats with a grain of salt for both hitters and pitchers at High A? Uh, I don't want to d- dwell on this too long, guys, because we want to try to get through this without you know making the podcast run t- too long. So I'll go to Garab first. Uh, ish, you know, I, I tend to shy away from making too many claims about someone until I actually see, see them at least like, uh, see them on MILB TV, like, and it's not really something we can do and they're IA. So I, I tend to not evaluate too much with players in that league. Matt, what about you? Really the only thing that I try to evaluate stat wise without actually seeing a player is the strikeout rate for a hitter. I mean, obviously it's hard to really judge by scouting a stat line, but if a guy's striking out 35 or 40% of the time, you can clearly see that the guy's got major hit tool issues. But other than that, it's more about actually seeing the player and watching them on video, watching them live, than just looking at a stat line. I mean, the stats are comparable in some way, but you really have to know what you're looking at to be able to compare that because you're looking at, let's say, and I realize this isn't in the Brave system, but how can you compare a guy from Rome to a guy from Asheville in the Sally League? Because Asheville is one of the most hitter-friendly parks out there. So you're going to have to compare not just third baseman to third baseman, for example, but you're going to have to compare third baseman in more of a neutral type stadium to third baseman in an extreme hitters park at that same level. And obviously when you get up to high A, you're talking about 
the Florida State League, which is notoriously pitcher-friendly, the California League, which is probably the most hitter-friendly league out there, which includes the PCL, and you're also talking about the Carolina League, which is more of a neutral environment compared to the other ones. And then AA has its own set of environments, so you really have to take all that into account. It's definitely trickier for us because we've, we've certainly tried to scout the Florida State League before, uh, and our experience is there that it rains in Florida every day. And it's that, impossible. They never play baseball in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and we've seen this happen. Like the, the Fire Frogs had to play three games in 24 hours, like just this week because there were so many rainouts. They had to try to squeeze as many games as I think it was three games. It might have been four, uh, but I think it was just the three. And like it's, that whole league and that whole situation is really tough. What I would say for you is, yes, you should take everything these this, the numbers that you can with a grain of salt, uh, especially since you can't watch them live, whether it be a stream, unless you're like they're they're in Bradenton, which I think is the only Florida State team, uh, Florida State league that has a stream. And but look at batted ball profiles. At least look for improvements there. A good example there is Grayson Janista. While his numbers don't look great this year, it's worth noting that he's still walking a good bit. Also, he's increased his fly ball rate, which is going to be worse in that league. And he's kind of, he's pulling the ball more. There are things about his peripherals that don't necessarily show up in the stat lines that you would normally look at. But in terms of those batted ball profiles of like how things are changing and he's hitting less ground balls and hitting more line drives and more fly balls, those are things we all look at too. Um, so the short answer is yes, we take things with a grain of salt. Uh, coming out of the Florida State Leap. We do our best to talk to people who are, who are actually watching these games. Uh, I was actually talking to a couple people earlier this week about a couple players down there, and it's it's tricky to be sure, especially since we're uh, both Groff and I are in Georgia and Matt's all the way up in Pittsburgh. Uh, and it's tricky to kind of see the, some of these guys live, uh, but at the end of the day, you have to kind of at least get what information you can, as well as just try to make sure you can find some people who have seen them live as well, and put together as complete a picture as you can until they get out of that uh, league, which I hope that they won't be in that particular location for much longer anyway. Uh, I'm going to throw this question only to Grav, because I think Matt has a little bit of a surprise question to end the podcast. Um, this is from John Gree. Is Travis Demerit for real? Grav, what do you think? Yeah, so this is something I actually would love to talk about, and I do, I do think it is legitimate. Uh, his hit tool, he's hitting a little higher than expected at 298. That's just not, that's not who he is as a player. I, I expect that to go down just a bit, but he's still walking at it at an elite rate. The slugging percentage is back up to something that we expect. I'm sure some of it's inflated with the triple A ball, but, uh, his OBP and slugging has always been his bread and butter. He's always done well, and now his hit tool looks like it's starting to come around. He's becoming a crazy balance at the plate now. He's pulling the ball as much as he's going the opposite field. Uh, he's the, everything else is, is roughly this, roughly the same. The line drive rate went back up to normal careers uh, back when I think his, his line drive rate is actually as as high or almost as high as it was back when he was uh, a Ranger and when everyone was really talking about him a whole lot, like. I, I do think it's real. I, I think – expect the batting average to go down. I, I, I don't think – because his swing is so conducive to to generate backspin that he is going to have – you know, he's going to strike out a good amount because of the, like, the, the level that his bat goes through. But I, I think I think this is real. I think he's legitimate. You know, he's not going to be this, like, incredible stud, but he's going to be an extremely versatile player that can play many positions. Thank Johan Camargo. Like – I would I'd say very similar type players right now. And, you know, 
let him play out the season in AAA. I know he's getting he's 25, 24-25 now. I say let him finish out unless he's absolutely killing the ball, and then seriously consider him in Atlanta for to create like almost this incredible bench uh, up and up over in Atlanta. Like when you're thinking about all these players, yeah, the Braves could have a crazy complete team next year, and it's getting me a little excited. Yeah, I think we forget a little bit about Demerit's utility um, because he played mostly in the infield for the longest time, and then he kind of converted to the outfield uh, starting last year in Double A. I think it'd be kind of like almost the inverse of Camargo in that he'd like see more time in the outfield than in the infield. But I think he could I mean we we thought he was a, like a plus defender at second base, uh, third base. I don't think he enjoys a whole lot, but he could feasibly do it. And I think that's his best path because if any player is going to benefit from the the new baseball in AAA as well as in the major leagues, it's going to be Travis Demerit just because of his bat path, kind of how his his overall batting profile and things like that. I think he can end up being a really interesting player. Uh, I, I wouldn't call this, I wouldn't call like a 900 OPS, like that's what he's going to be when he gets to the majors, if and when he gets to the majors, but I think he could have value, uh, and I think that's the important thing. Now, Matt, yeah, I, go ahead. Yeah, I would expect, you know, batting average to be like 265 to 270, which means his OBP would be closer to like the 350 range, and then you bring down the OPS a whole lot. But the slugging at 526, 450 to 425 to 490 is probably his sweet spot, I would say. Uh, but yeah, you know, he's a, he's kind of a, kind of a complete player. I like what he's putting together, and I really hope that it, it continues. So now we have a note here from our own Matt Powers that he has a question that he wants to ask Ravnai, so we are all ears, bud. What's up? So this is not a normal question for us. It's a topic that we wouldn't necessarily touch on normally, but I think it actually is very relevant timeline-wise. So back in the off season, the Braves got a lot of negative attention because they didn't make a big move. And one of the biggest moves that they came really close on was getting JT Realmuto from the Marlins. Obviously, he went to the Phillies. But if you remember, one of the biggest pieces involved in getting him was Austin Riley, which obviously plays into the right now factor for this. And that's what I'm going to actually touch on. So knowing what you know now, and we're only a couple months after the trade at this point, and you know Riley's going to be up for the year because they didn't recall Austin Riley to be up for two weeks to send him back down when they could have just brought up Adam Duvall. So who would you rather have right now, today, both for this year and for going forward? Would you rather have Real Muto in the lineup, or would you rather have Riley? Obviously, you do have to factor in age, the fact that JT is going to need a new contract soon, and he's going to make quite a bit of money, and the fact that Contreras is also in the minor leagues. I mean, which side would you prefer, both right now and in the future at this point? Gaurav, you want to handle it first, or you want me to go? Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go. This is a this is an interesting question because it shouldn't be interesting. Like, it should be a very open and shut case. You're talking about a multi all star catcher who has one of the most dynamic skill sets at that position. But when you factor in everything else, you, you talk about the, the upcoming uh, contract. Um, it, it creates a little uncertainty, and it's really surprising. Uh, I think I have to be responsible and say JT, but the fact that this is an actual question makes me very happy inside. 
Yeah, my issue with some of this sort of hindsight stuff is that no one in this in the three of us thought that Austin Riley was going to be mashing at AAA and in the major leagues the way he is right now. And that doesn't necessarily we did, we we we've liked him for a, we've liked him for a long time. We've probably liked him and known about him longer than most, right? So, I don't necessarily think that it's fair to say that the Braves like really got lucky to not trade for Real Muto because Real Muto has still been good this year. Uh, the, the like the, the overall offensive profile hasn't been exactly what we expected to see from him uh, and what we had seen from him from the Marlins, but getting that from a premium position, even for uh, just a couple years, is a big deal. I mean, we're not talking about just a rental. You get an extra year out of him. However, I will say this. Uh, I tend to agree with Grav that I, I think that the, the correct answer is still you prefer Rio Muto. Um, you can revisit this down the line, and if you know Austin Riley has 30 home runs at the end of the year, then obviously that changes the calculus a bit. But we're still talking about a guy who's still just a prospect and who still has had a track record of some things that haven't always gone right. And while that's an easy thing to, to talk about, you know, like look how good he's hitting now, look how dumb these guys were for wanting to trade for Rio Muto, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the the bigger problem was that it wasn't just that the Braves had to trade Austin Riley. It was that they're going to have to trade a big package. The, the, the Phillies put together a real package to go get it, uh, to, to, to go get Real Muto. And I, I respect that. It wasn't just simply, you know, the Braves were unwilling to trade Austin Riley. It was just the, the, the sheer amount of the whole package. Um, but I will say this. JT Real Muto is going to be a free agent at some point. And it's probably going to – and I don't necessarily think that he would ex- – I, it's not a given that he extends with Philly. And if that's the case, there is a situation, particularly with the the Braves' current timeline. It depends a little bit on William Contreras, but it's still possible. I would laugh that, so hard. If Real Moto just ends up as a Brave anyway. You know what I mean? It might not, maybe not the trade that they were, one that we were hoping for this, for this year, but it's not, it's not a crazy notion to think that, you know, the Braves could see maybe Contreras isn't the long-term answer. I still think Contreras is really good. But, you know, maybe that they go ahead and get real Muto anyway, just in free agency. So that's my long, long story short saying that I would, I would still think that it's real Muto, uh, just because of the certainty at a position, a premium position. But the Braves are not in a bad position right now. I mean, the catching platoon, I mean, Flowers and McCann have been really, really good. And, and obviously Riley's been a catcher and Riley's been really good, you know, this year in general. So it's not something that I lose a lot of sleep over either, if that makes any sense. And I actually have the opposite opinion of both of you guys. I mean, if you remember anything that I said in the off season, I was higher than anyone on our catchers presently. I'm talking McCann and Flowers here. That I thought those guys are a significantly above average catcher. I mean, when you combine them into one position instead of two different guys, when you look at their combined production, you're getting a very good offensive catcher and you're getting a lot of veteran leadership from that. And I think while I didn't expect Riley to be this good, I did expect him to be up fairly early in the season. I was probably thinking June or so at the start of the year. And he adds something that the Braves don't have, and they still wouldn't have had if they had JT, because Riley's probably the best pure power threat in that lineup right now. And JT definitely would not have been that guy. So you're saving money. You're saving Riley plus whatever else you were going to have to give, and there was definitely quite a bit more. You're saving money, even though it's a slight downgrade at catcher, and I I don't think it's quite as big as the downgrade that some people would have made it out to be. Obviously, having JT in there 
is the best catcher in the game, but the guys that we have in there right now for everything they bring, the complete package, they're very good. And having that extra power threat in there, plus having the age that you're going to have to give JT that big contract that to actually keep him and make that trade package worth it, definitely puts things in the favor of Riley's side for me. See, that's where it gets a little bit tricky for me, and we'll we'll just end here and say that there are positives for the Braves not doing that deal, right? Is that they're you know, they still get to keep Riley, obviously he's been really good. I didn't necessarily think he was gonna be up by June, mainly because the the primary problem was that since he wasn't getting time in the outfield, particularly in spring training, and we don't that his place as an outfielder wasn't something that we were necessarily factoring in for because the Braves signed Donaldson. It makes it tricky to try to get him in there unless Donaldson's injured long term, and that kind of creates separate problems, right? But the the this is something we can revisit once we get through the whole season, and then we see how the the, the catching tandem of Flowers and McCann performs. Because I completely agree, they, they've been insanely good. I think it's been like, I mean, catcher's been one of the better positions in the lineup just because Flowers was really hot. McCann's been, the McCann has had, has had his moments and has been driving in runs. And, you know, in terms of like, you know, managing and pitching staff, you can't ask for two better guys. I, I completely agree with that. But these are two older catchers and I don't necessarily want to put a grade on a move when we're kind of part of it, we're factoring in is just how good McCann and Flowers have been when we we don't know how they're going to be overall a full season. And I just don't know if both those guys are going to make it through a full season healthy. I mean, we already saw McCann miss some time uh, with a hamstring thing, and it's just a hamstring. We haven't had a reason to believe that's something that's lingering. Uh, he's still been playing recently, and he's been playing well at that. But I don't necessarily want to draw too many conclusions from that sample size to say the Braves ended up better Overall, because I think that there's room for both Rio Muto to be better in Philadelphia and for the players that we're talking about on the Braves side to be worse. And I, I don't think there's necessarily a wrong answer, really, because, I mean, like, obviously the Braves are, have – it's turned out really well for them in the short term uh, in terms of not having to give up these real assets. And the biggest part, I think, is what Matt Messett mentions is the extra part of that package is going to be Austin Riley plus other real, like, major league ready assets. And that's that's a big package to give up for any player. And the Phillies, you know, they ponied up, they gave up Sixto Sanchez, they gave up, you know, they gave up, a, a, like, a major league ready catcher. They, they gave up a lot of real assets to go get him. And, you know, I can respect it. But for me, I, I think it's still I would prefer Real Muto. But at the same time, I respect the decision not to, especially since I don't know exactly what Miami wanted in terms of the overall, the overall package. But if it's just like, you know, well, thank God they didn't get rid of Austin Riley. That's not, it's not just trading away Austin Riley. It's just that that total package, if that's too much, it's too much and you can't do it. And that's, that's kind of where my general thought process is. Um, any last thoughts before we let our listeners go? That's it for me at this point. I'm just Excited to get on next week and talk to Carlos and talk more draft because I can't wait to talk more draft. That'll be another episode where I just sit here because Carlos is like seriously one of the most intelligent baseball minds I've ever come across. So it's gonna be fun to to just shut up and listen to Matt and Carlos. He's 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 not here yet, Garav. You don't have to start sucking up to him. (laughs) Although Garav is not wrong, Carlos is great. I mean, as much as I know about the draft. Carlos definitely knows more. 
I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping he gets mad at me because of my top 900 and then a week later he had to put out a piece that was like the top 400 in the draft or something like that. I'm, I'm hoping he brings that up. I think he might be a little mad at me at the moment because I, without realizing it, and I, I want to apologize to him, I criticized uh, Eric's tweet last week about Langleyers being a possibility for the Braves at nine, not realizing that Carlos had just put a mock draft up with Braves taking him at nine. So I had not realized it and started criticizing it, and Carlos jumped in and made a comment on that. And I'm thinking he might have been defending his information there, and I did not see that at that point. I saw it after the fact, but sorry, Carlos. (laughs) Well, I've talked to Carlos since then, and you know he's certainly willing to come on the podcast, if only to shout at Matt, and that's totally fine with me. Um, but we're looking forward to hearing from Carlos next week to talk about the draft. We're, uh, lots of draft talks have been coming up. I'm just going to give you guys a heads up about that now. That's why we did the mailbag episode because we're going to try to get you caught up on prospect stuff because the next few weeks for us, uh, leading up to the draft, it's going to be a lot of draft talk just because that's going to be a, it's going to be a big part of the year, both for the site uh, as well as the kind of what we're doing because this is going to be a big part of what the Braves are going to be adding to the farm system over the next few years. We don't expect them to have a higher, a high draft pick going forward. They're not going to be signing guys in the the international free agent market for the next couple years. So this is going to be kind of, this is going to be the wave that's going to be like the last wave for a while without kind of really digging in with the scouting department and maybe getting a little bit lucky in some later round picks. Um, so with all that said, guys, make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter at road, the number two Atlanta. Uh, you can always, if you want to listen to this podcast or if you want to listen to the talking chop podcast, you only need to subscribe to one feed. That's the Talking Chop, uh, the Topping Chop feed on iTunes. You can find it on find us on various platforms, uh, Stitcher. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us all over the place. Uh, if you and we, we really appreciate all the support from the since the podcast has came back. It's been a lot of fun for us. Uh, before, unless we have anything else, guys, we'll see you on the road.